Well, it's my privilege, church, to get to introduce you all to our guest speaker this morning, John Elmore uh, from Watermark Church in Dallas, Texas. And I got to let you know that John uh, is a Springfield native, okay? And he sent me a uh, text last night of a burrito enchilada style, full order from Mexican Villa. And uh, so all my Mexican Villa fans, where are you guys at? Come on, let's go. Those of you who are opposed, we don't need to hear it. So, uh, man, John has brought us a powerful word last night at our conference, and he's going to speak to us this morning. So welcome, John Elmore. Hey, y'all. Great to be with you. High Street, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's a blessing to me, having grown up in Springfield, Missouri, at Disney, Cherokee, Kickapoo. So it's a blessing to come back to Springfield, but it's particularly redemptive in my life as well, because when I left here at the age of 18, from 18 to 30, I became an alcoholic, uh, just chasing after the world and everything that it would offer. And so for the first time in my life, now uh, 15 and a half years sober at the age of 45, I'm, I'm here able to preach the gospel and the scriptures after having left Springfield a squanderer to now return back and share the gospel. So I thank you for that opportunity. And uh, in addition to all the, like, the Springfield stuff, like. You guys know your state motto, right? The what? The show me state. The show me state. Um, we're going to talk about Thomas today, which was kind of a show me state vibe. He's like, unless I see the marks on his hands and the net where the spear went in his side, I'll never believe. He's got a little show me in him. What, what was Thomas's nickname? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. Everybody knows it. 2,000 years later, and his nickname is Doubting Thomas. Like, you, you did not do a great job in life if 2,000 years after you lived, you're known as Doubting. That's, uh, that's problematic. And so probably like nine months ago, I started thinking about Thomas. And I don't think I've ever spent any more than 10 seconds thinking about Thomas in my entire life. Like he, he's just like, I don't think he's in anybody's radar really. Like he's kind of in there with Bartholomew. You're like, I don't know what happened. Like how, you only got 12. How'd, how'd these guys end up on the roster? But there was Thomas and God's laying on my heart the fact that Thomas touched his wounds. And I, and I hadn't thought about it much. And I'm like, there's something there. And so I, I go and I study the passage, and now, like, I can't shake it. And I think it's, it's uh, God's used it to change my life. I think he will to do the same in yours today. And so what I want to do is tell you about Thomas. And I want to erase from your mind ever that he is doubting Thomas. And I'm going to do that through three times that he speaks. In the entirety of Scripture, only three recorded times that Thomas ever utters words. The first one, like, it's in, it's in John chapter 11, and earlier before this, uh, Jesus is in Bethany, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and, and he's kind of going back and forth with them, and they're like, oh, so you know Abraham? And his response to them, he says, before Abraham was, I am, which was a statement of deity. They knew this from like how God interacted with Moses, and Moses is like, well, who should I say sent me? And he says, you tell them I am sent you. And Jesus now, on the heels of that, says, before Abraham was, I am. So they pick up stones to kill him. Now, Jesus is going back to Bethany because Lazarus dies. Mary and Martha's brother, he dies. He's going to go there. He's going to raise him again. But the rest of the disciples, they say to Jesus, as he's like going back to Bethany, they say to him, hey, you know that it was not long ago that the Jews were trying to stone you to death. They're saying, like, you go back there, you're a dead man, Jesus. Like, you can't go back to Bethany. That's where they tried to stone you. Like, you got short-term memory loss. But check out what Thomas says. Thomas says, 
let us go then with him that we might also die with him. Now that is a bold statement of faith. That's anything but doubting Thomas. That is bold and faithful Thomas to say like, well, if he's gonna go there and he's gonna get stoned to death, then I'm going with him. Where else would I go? So if he's gonna go and be martyred, I'm all in. I'm following Jesus, even to the death, which is so strong. The next time that we hear Thomas speak is in John chapter 14. John 14, five. Nobody knows what John 14, five says because it's Thomas speaking. And yet we all know what John 14, six says. I'll share it with you. So Jesus is in this uh, discussion with his disciples and he says, um, I would not go if I'm not preparing a place for you, but I'm going to prepare a place. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. In my Father's house, there's many rooms. And where I go, there I will bring you. You'll be with me also. And, and they're all listening like, wait, what? Father's house? What are you talking about? Joseph? Like, what, what, what is this? So Thomas speaks up. Show me state. He's like, hey, Rabbi, Lord, we don't know where you're going or how to get there. And Jesus replies. That's John 14, 5. Jesus replies in John 14, 6, and he says, I, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me, the Son. This exclusivity of Jesus' statement was like, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one's going to come through. No one's going to get to the Father. There are not many paths up the mountain, Thomas. I am the only way. And it was because of Thomas's clarifying statement and question that we were given that incredible gospel good news in John 14, 6. And then the last mention of Thomas speaking is found in John chapter 20. And I'm going to read it with you. So it's after the resurrection. Uh, Mary Magdalene is the first one to the tomb. And she arrives there. She wraps up Jesus in a hug. He's like, hey, let go of me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go and tell the brothers what you have seen. And so she runs. She tells the disciples. And here's where we're going to pick it up in verse 19. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, listen, he showed them his hands and his side where the spear pierced when he was on the cross. Then, after that, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's gonna be incredibly relevant to what we're going to be taught today through the word. The Father sent the Son, the Son now sends us. Even so, I'm sending you. I'm gonna jump to verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. You know, they're all gathered. I don't know where he is. He's somewhere out doubting, probably, because of the resurrection and all that. They're not, he's not there. So, verse 25, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, here comes show me state Thomas, unless I see his hands, see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger, listen to that, like what he's asking for, place my finger into the mark of the nails and into his side, I will never believe. And thus, the moniker Doubting Thomas. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, he doesn't speak to anybody else, he just turns to Thomas. 
who he knows has said because he's, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent. He knows what Thomas said. He knows that, that Thomas said, even if, unless I see and I place my finger there, I'll never believe. So he turns to Thomas. He's not mad at Thomas. He understands, like, this is mind-blowing because you know I was crucified. You know, I was stripped, the crown of thorns, beard pulled out, lashed across the back, crucified at the cross, buried, and now I'm raised again, I'm standing in your midst. Of course you're saying, unless I see and unless I touch. He's not mad at him. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now listen, this is Thomas, the last time that we have recorded in the entire Gospels that he speaks. His response, having placed his finger inside the nails, that hole, and inside Jesus' side, he says, my Lord and my God. The Greek is my kurios and my theos. Theos, meaning, I mean, people would call kurios, master, Lord, they're bond servants. You might call someone in an elevated state, you're kurios. You don't call anybody theos unless they are God. He says, my Lord and my God. And from Thomas, we get the most Christological statement in all of the gospels from any other apostle or disciple doubting Thomas. He's not doubting Thomas. He is right on Thomas. As he says, my Lord, my God. And why does he say it? Because he saw the mortal wounds. He saw the wounds that meant Jesus was dead, but now he's alive again, the resurrection power of Christ. And as a result, he says, that's it. You're God. There's no other explanation. You're God in flesh. You are Emmanuel, God with us, worthy of all our praise, just as we sang. But y'all, that's it for Thomas's life. That's it. There's nothing else said of Thomas or recorded of Thomas other than the fact that in Acts, in the upper room, he's there on the roster. They're just running through kind of who's there present, and he gets put in there because all the others were, and that's the last mention. Except for the fact that two church historians, Eusebius and Hippolytus, both record what happened to Thomas after he touched the nail-pierced hands and the spear-pierced side. Get a load of this. You will never think the name Doubting Thomas ever again. Thomas went farther than any other apostle and reached more people groups than any other apostle as they record that Thomas leaves Jerusalem and goes as far as India. Some record that he went to China, Pakistan, back to India where he was martyred on top of Mount Shinai where they said, stop speaking the name of Jesus. And you know that he was giving them John 14, 6. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through the Son. And so they're like, we're gonna kill you. He's like, kill me because I'll be raised from the dead just like Jesus. I'll never die again because I've been given a new life. And to this day in India, you will meet people named Thomas for his name's sake. That's the power of seeing the resurrection over a mortal wound. Seeing the resurrected Christ, his mortal wounds. Now here's the thing. 
Every single person in this room, every single person in this room has a mortal wound. You have a mortal wound of sin. The scripture makes it crystal clear that all of us, because of our sin, are dead in our sins and trespasses. That's Ephesians chapter two. In Romans six, it says that we are dead in our sin, slaves to sin and Satan. We're dead. This is why Nicodemus, Jesus says to him, like, unless you're born again, you'll never enter the kingdom. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Born again, I'm alive right now. He's like, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. Do you not understand? You're physically alive. You are spiritually dead. And so it is with us. All of us, we have a mortal wound of sin. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we've been raised again to walk in newness of life. Meaning, we were physically alive but spiritually dead. Now the Spirit, having trusted in Christ, has been breathed into us. We're now indwelt by the Spirit. And this is where Jesus says you're born again. You're spiritually alive because of Jesus. The mortal wound of your sin no longer has power over you. You also Romans 6 says, have been raised again to walk in newness of life. You too have that mortal wound of sin that you can show and that people would behold you and be like, wait, you were dead in your sin, but now you're alive just like Jesus. And so the message today, it is one singular point, is that you would show your wounds, show your wounds, the wound of mortal sin, Show your wound so that you may share your Savior. Because all eight billion people walking this earth have one thing in common, sin. Everyone has sin, but not everyone has a Savior. And so you get to show them your wound, your wound of sin that was death, but here you are alive in Christ so that you can share your Savior because they have sin too. They do. It's what I do all the time. I'll tell people, I, I did it twice on the way up here in a gas station, once with another person. Uh, as they like asked me, some dude was like, hey, can I have $5 to put gas in my car? I was like, I'm not gonna give you money because I don't know what you're gonna do with the money, but if you pull over to the gas station, over to the gas pump, I'll put, I'll put gas in your car because I'm gonna leverage that opportunity to tell him like, hey, Avon, who's from Guatemala, driving up to Michigan. I was like, Avon, can I tell you why I'm doing this? He's like, sure. Like, why would you be generous? I'm like, because I was an alcoholic. I'm gonna roll up my sleeve and I'm gonna show him my wound of sin that had me dead, I was dead in my sin. Even I was an alcoholic. That's what Jesus saved me out of. I'm not who I was. Jesus saved me and now I live to tell everybody. Same thing with another couple, like, like this old broke down truck in, in Oklahoma. And I was like, well, here's an opportunity. And I heard him walk in and they put some cash down for pump at the gas. And, and I was like, hey, put that on my card. Give me their cash. I walk back out, give it to them. I'm like, hey, here's your money back. And I mean, like, looked like a farmer limping in crutches with his wife. And, and I told him again, the reason why I'm doing this, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Jesus saved me out of alcoholism. And I want you to know, I showed them my wounds so that I can share my Savior. Because I know that, I know that everybody's got sin, but they may not have Jesus. And this is not just some like cool party trick you get if you're an alcoholic. Like, well, okay, you got saved out of something. If you are a Christian, you've been saved from sin. Like you didn't need Jesus, you didn't want Jesus. 
apart from your sin. There's no reason for you to be here singing to Jesus apart from the fact that you were a sinner in need of a savior to be saved by grace through faith and live with him forevermore. But somewhere along the way, we start putting on our Sunday best and we stop talking about our Sunday worst. How are you? I'm great, how are you? I'm <laughs> great. And we stop telling about the sin that Jesus saved us from or that he saves us from present tense now. Like me being short and sharp with my kids. That he's still sanctifying me through. And, and as I said, this isn't like a, like a Christian life hack party trick to share the gospel. It's what the scriptures say all throughout. So just as Thomas, once he saw those wounds that meant death now raised again and he became an unstoppable force for the gospel farther than any other, reached more people groups than any other. It's throughout the scriptures. God goes to pains to lay them before us and say like, hey, everybody has sinned that they need saving from and then it's that that glorifies me, that allows me to use them and proclaim the gospel to others. So you've got Jacob. Jacob's name means schemer or deceiver. Like, if you name your child deceiver, man, that's like a bad start. But he fulfilled it, like he became his own namesake. And there he is, wrestling with God, and then at the end of his life, he's blessing Joseph's children. Manasseh and Ephraim, they're on his lap, he crosses his hands, weird passage as he blesses them, and it says this, he, and, he, and he leaned on his staff as he worshiped. Now, this is a big book, there's a lot of words in it. We're going for economy of words to try to shrink that down, I would think. Why is that there? And he leaned on his staff as he worshiped? Like that's a peculiar thing to add. Compounded by the fact that you jump over to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and it says in the hall of faith, this is like, naming all these people of Abraham, and it talks about Isaiah who was sawn in two, and all these like heroes of the faith, and there's Jacob in the middle of the passage, like Jacob, hall of faith, like how did he squeeze in there? That's crazy. The Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, is like, no, no, you write down Jacob, the schemer and deceiver. And you know what it says, his one line, he gets one sentence, in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, and it says this in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Why is that there? It's there because the Spirit, through Moses writing it in Genesis, and the author of Hebrews never wants us to forget Jacob wasn't a good guy. He was a bad guy. He was a sinner. And he wrestled with God. And when he was wrestling with God, God wrenched his hip out of place and he limped through life that he would never forget who he was apart from God. And that even in his old age, even in Hebrews, he leaned on a staff and he and, and is worshiped that we would never forget. The Spirit is showing us Jacob's wounds in order to share his savior. It's the same with Mary Magdalene, the one who was first to the tomb. She's the first to see the resurrected Christ. You'd think that would become her moniker, kind of like Doubting Thomas, we'd be like, oh, Mary, who saw the resurrection? First, she saw the raised Christ. It's not so. 
You might think it would be, oh, well, there's Mary who funded Jesus' ministry. That would have been a really nice thing to say about Mary because she did. She had wealth. We don't know from what, but she funded. Just like World Project Week, as you guys are giving that the gospel would go out, that's what Mary did. That's not what she's known for. The gospel writers, when they give Mary's name, they say Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven demons came. That seems like really hard. Like, man, she did good things. Yeah, she did good things. But the Spirit doesn't want us to forget who she was before Jesus, that she was filled with evil and the demonic. Why? Because everyone has sin, not everyone has a Savior. And so that, in there, they're showing Mary, here's her wounds so that she can share her Savior. And then you got the Apostle Paul, arguably the greatest missionary, greatest theologian, And he writes to his little protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and he says, even though I was once a blasphemer, persecutor, and violent man. It's like, Paul, man, why why are you throwing yourself under the bus? You did some good in life. Like, you you could give a different resume, like the one who traveled on all these missionary journeys, the one who suffered on behalf of Christ. He's like, no, 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 no. I never want you to forget because the unlimited grace and patience that was put on display, his mercy through my life because of who I was. I will show you my wounds so that I can share my Savior. But it's an intimate thing, right? Like my wife and I are sitting in a Tex-Mex restaurant in Dallas and I order a lemonade with salt on the rim. And, and you see the, she's like, okay, hey, what? You want, you want Cuervo in that? You want triple sec? Grand Marinier, like what, you, you just want a lemonade with salt on the rim? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a recovering alcoholic. That's what Jesus saved me out of. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we went there. We just went from ordering food to now we're having a spiritual conversation. Her name's Stephanie. She's a friend of ours now. We pray for her before meals. And she says, like, man, this is what I'm going through, like health stuff or family stuff. And there's a spiritual bridge that's built. And it was built because I, I, I decided to roll up my sleeve and show her my wound, my deadly wound that, was, that I was dead in my sin. And said, Stephanie, put your finger here. Just like Thomas, put your finger in that wound. It's gonna be awkward. It's gonna be intimate. I mean, think about Thomas putting his fingers into the wound, into his side. Stephanie, put your finger on my alcoholism to know the resurrected power of Christ in my life. Because Stephanie, I, I know because you're breathing you have sin and I don't know if you have a savior so we're gonna, t- we're gonna go there and we're gonna talk about it. My favorite one in all of scripture is the Gerasene demoniac. The Gerasene demoniac, we don't even know his name. I can't wait to meet him one day in heaven and wrap him up with a big hug. You will meet people in heaven because of the Gerasene demoniac. You'll be like, how did you get here? I'll say, because the demon-possessed guy. Check this out, this story, it's unbelievable. We all know the story about Jesus calming the wind and the waves. I mean, we just sang about it in part. So it's at night and Jesus says, let us go to the other side. I'm sure they're like, what? How about a good night's rest? Why are we going to the other side? But instead he gals him up, gets him in a boat, and, and the wind and waves are crashing. He's taking a nap, and they wake him up. Rabbi, don't you care that we're perishing? He gets up. Peace be still. Poof, and it's just glass. Table Rock Lake on a quiet morning. Just like calms the wind and waves. They're freaked out like, who is this that even the wind and waves obey? And then they get to the other side. When they get to the other side, you know, little skiff, pulls, hits the gravel shore. 
There from the tombs comes running a man. And we know from the narrative, as the Gospels captured it, that this man lived naked among the tombs. He was living in a graveyard. It says that he cut himself with stones day and night as he cried out, for he was filled with demons. It says that the townspeople had shackled him, feet and wrist, to the tombs. Y'all, they weren't chaining him up like a dog that would cause trouble. They did so to kill him. You can't live chained for more than three days because of dehydration. You will die without water. They left him for dead. (laughs) And Jesus saw him and said, we're going for him. We're going through the storm for him. So they get to the other side, and this man, still full of demons, runs down. I mean, imagine this. It's nighttime. Someone's running out of a graveyard, naked, falls at the feet of Christ. Matthew records that through these demonic voices say, Son of the Most High, Son of Man, have you come here to torment us before the appointed time? And there's a back and forth we know from the verb tense as Jesus is saying, come out of the man. It's ongoing. He's saying it like, come out of the man. They're saying, have you come to torment us? Come out of the man. Have you come here to torment us before the appointed time? Come out of the man. It's the back and forth. And Jesus says, what is your name? And they say, we are legion, for we are many. And you know what? The disciples are so freaked out. It's nighttime. He's naked. There's demons speaking. And then the demons say this. Let us go into the pigs. And they're thinking like, he doesn't bargain with demons. He's not gonna listen to what the demons want him to do. And Jesus says, go. The demons beg, send us into the pigs. And Jesus says, yes. The demons go into the pigs, rush down the hill, drown in the Sea of Galilee. 2,000 dead pigs in the sea. It's so eerie, it's so crazy, and so dark. But the next thing we know is that the demoniac is now seated, clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. Jesus has brought order to chaos. Now the herds people get the townsmen, and they come, and they're, and they're now begging, same verb. The demons begged, now the townspeople are begging Jesus, go, get out of here, go back to where you're from, we don't want you. And you think like, well, he's not gonna listen to them because he came to share the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's gonna move his way through the garrisons and, and, and push back the darkness with light. Instead, he says yes. He's like, okay. And so they and the disciples, they're backing up towards the boat. Angry herdsmen and townspeople, they're saying leave. And then a third person begs. The demons beg, the townspeople beg. Jesus says yes, he says yes. Now, the garrison demoniac. In verse 17, Jesus, it says, uh, sorry, verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged, there's that word again, another person begs, him that he might be with him. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he says to the fishermen, leave your nets and follow me. He says to the tax collector, Levi, leave your tax collector booth and follow me. He says to the rich man, let the dead bury the dead and follow me. Everyone, he's saying, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. The garrison demoniac says, let me go with you, let me follow you. Jesus says, no. And it's so, it seems like so harsh and rude and cruel. You said yes to the demons. You said yes to the townspeople. Now that he actually wants to follow you and you're saying No. 
But he says this. Verse 19, he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And that's the end. That's the end of the story. Because at that point in time, right now as we read it, the narrative has been collapsed. The history has been collapsed for us. But at that point in time, they got back in the boat. They went across to the other side. And as they get to the other side, it's then daytime. And they're, and they're there in the crowd. And the, the woman with the bleeding condition touches the hem of his garment. And Jairus' daughter. And all that. It's just business as usual. And, and we don't know what happened to him. He was just standing on the shore with angry herdsmen. And Jesus told him no. And you know the disciples are like, wait, three years of ministry. You get three years of ministry on earth and we just spent 24 hours. We almost died in the storm and, and we went and we talked to one crazy guy coming out of the tombs and now we left. Like, what are you, that's a really bad strategy, Jesus. That's a really bad strategy to save the world. Unless it's not the end of the story. Unless the garrison demoniac did what Jesus said, and he did. Because at some point in time, one of the apostles must have caught up with him, and they recognized him, and said like, wait, I've seen you before. I know who you are. You're the man, the demoniac, the one, the one that, show, show, me, show, me your, show me your arms. Yeah, it's you. I see where you used to cut yourself. That's you. What did you do? What did you do after we saw you that night? Here's what he did. Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The Decapolis is the 10-city Roman outpost there in Judea. He went back to where he was from, and he told everyone everything Jesus had done for him, which was a, he was, he was saying Jesus is God because Jesus says, tell everyone everything the Lord has done for you. It was, again, a statement of deity, just like Thomas. He's saying, Jesus is God, and this is what he did for me. Now, in order for the people to be amazed, he had to have told them the before. It's not amazing just to be like, hey, guys, I'm back. Be like, dude, what happened to you? You were a nightmare. You were a living maniac when we knew you before. And in order for them to be amazed, they had to have known the before. So you know he rolled up his sleeves and showed him his wounds. He showed his wounds so that he could share his Savior. This is where I cut myself. This is where they chained me and left me for dead. I was filled with demons, but Jesus saved me. The word there proclaimed in the, in the Decapolis, it's the word Russo. It's the word to preach. It's the same that John the Baptist preached the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the same that Jesus did about the good news in their hearing. It's the same that Paul says, preach the word. He K. Russo, the garrison demoniac, went and preached to anyone who would listen. This is what Jesus did for me. He showed his wounds to share his Savior, and it says that all the people were amazed. It's the same word that always occurs after Jesus' miracles when the people were amazed. They knew, they were, they were miraculously amazed as they saw before them, like we know you who you were before. Oh my goodness, what has Jesus done? They were amazed. They saw a walking, talking, living miracle. The question is, will you go? 
Jesus went through that same storm of sin for you. He went for the one for you. But he didn't go just to save you. He went in the same way as the garrison demoniac to send you. And he's saying to you this morning, go back. Go back to where you're from and tell everyone everything Jesus has done for you and they will be amazed. But in order for them to be amazed, in order for them to hear about a savior that could also save them, you gotta roll up your sleeves too and say, he saved me. He saved me out of porn. He saved me out of anxiety. He saved me out of depression. He saved me out of nagging. He saved me out of control. He saved me out of my addiction and pills and mess and alcohol. I will show you my wounds so that I can share with you my savior because I know you've got sin, but I don't know if you have a savior. And they will be amazed. They will be amazed because they will see before them a walking, talking miracle, not because you show them your Sunday best or put your best foot forward, but because they tell, because you tell them, like, I was a sinner. Not anymore. I've been saved. I'm not a sinner who saints. I'm a saint who still sins. Jesus, save me, and he'll save you too. Let me pray.